When I was growing up, I don't know if there was anything more impactful in my very, very early life. Think for a moment to when you were two or three. I want you to go in your time machine, whether that's a TARDIS, a DeLorean, or something else. Let's go in our time machine for a moment. I want you to think back to when you were two or three. I don't know if there was something more impactful for me than Sesame Street at that age. Do we have any Sesame Street superfans? It's interesting because... Up until the most recent, my children's generation, they have Cocoa Melon instead, so they don't really do Sesame Street. But it seems like every other generation for the past 50 or so years, Sesame Street was such a big part of how we grew up. And I think of my earliest memory, I was two years old, and I was in the basement of my house on my birthday, and Big Bird comes in, and they got Big Bird for my birthday, and I was terrified. And that's my earliest memory. And it all goes downhill. I also think of, with those early days of Sesame Street, for me in the 90s, my favorite, it was kind of the pre-Elmo days, Grover. Do you remember Super Grover? He was amazing. I feel like they don't even have Grover anymore. But I don't think there was anything more significant about Sesame Street than the songs. Would you agree? Let's try it. Let's see if I'm right. You ready for it? Well, I love... Trash. Good. Okay. Oh, well, okay. Well, more of Let's try again. C is for... Okay, there we go. This one's hard. Can we do a hard one? We had a hard time with, with I Love Trash. So let's see. Abacajeka. All right. The alphabet song. Nobody can actually sing it. What about this one? Robber Ducky, you're the... Okay, we're doing better. We're doing... Can we do one more? What about this one? Tell me who are the people in your... Oh, so we all know that one. Now, it's interesting. I thought that was like a My Generation Sesame Street song. That was in the very, very first season. So if you know Sesame Street at all, whether you start at the very beginning, the genesis of Sesame Street, if you will, or more recently, there's a trendy uh, clip of Ben Stiller singing that song in more recent years. People in Your Neighborhood is a really important part of Sesame Street. For me, as I was growing up, let me tell you why. Because I grew up in a neighborhood. Anybody else grow up in a neighborhood? Okay. And there were people in my neighborhood who I just didn't notice. Because when you're a child, you're focused on what? You're focused on where you sleep and playing your games and who mom and dad are and what home looks like and school and all that stuff. And there's all these different people who do things, right? And we can forget about them. And they're important parts of what we do. Like growing up in the 90s, if there wasn't a school bus driver, what would you have done? So a school bus driver is a person in your neighborhood. The postal service, the postal worker, etc., all these people are important parts of our neighborhood. And so what I remembered as a little kid is I would sing this song for everybody. So if someone would come and bring the mail, I would think in my head, uh, a postal worker is a person in your neighborhood, right? That whole kind of thing. Now, you can say, what does that have to do with anything church? We are coming to a time where it is Christmas time, and we're in an in-between week. And as we conclude this letter, we've been going through the Paul's letter to the Colossians. We've been going through it for nine weeks. And you're going to see at the very end, there's this really random text that we're going to get to. And we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. But what I don't want you to miss is that in the Christmas season, you have a wonderful time to remember that there are people in our neighborhood. There's people 
that we come into contact with that we have a profound influence on, not that we're going to tell them what to do, but they notice how we live, and we have an opportunity to make an impact on them for the better. And sometimes as Christians, we can say, hey, how do I share my faith? How do I let other people know about Jesus? Christmas time and Easter are like the two times that it's simpler than other times to let people know about our faith and to share our faith. So what I want to show you is that Sesame Street had that song, Who Are the People in Your Neighborhood? And it really grappled with some questions that are going to have a lot to do with sharing our faith. Here's what the questions are. Number one, and we're going to throw a graphic on the screen, what is community? So Sesame Street, that song, it asked like, what is community? What, what is that in general? How do we define that? How do you build it? And who's included? Now, it's really interesting because these are key themes in the Gospels and in Paul's writings. So the Apostle Paul writes all these letters. And you're going to see that when people come and talk to Jesus, they're always wondering, like, who's my neighbor? Who should I take care of? Who matters? How do we build a community together? What are the rules? Who's included there? And that's also, as you see in Paul's letters, it's a key thing. What is community? How is it built? Who's included? And so what I want to show you is that imagine, have you ever heard the phrase, the kingdom of God? Okay, it's, it's a common church phrase, and I like it. I'm not rejecting it, but sometimes when we use these church phrases, we can say, I don't totally get it because I, anybody serve under a king? We don't. Anybody really part of an earthly kingdom? We're not. And so we can look at it and say, I don't really get it. What I want you to imagine is that the kingdom of God is like God's neighborhood. Are you with me on that? So imagine that we've got God's neighborhood, and we wonder, okay, what is that neighborhood? How is it built? And who's included? And as we go into the Christmas season, as I mentioned, this is a great time to share our faith because here's our big idea. And I want to be crystal clear about what we're talking about today. God wants me to lead others to his neighborhood's gate. And Jesus says, I'm the gate. So let me, let me break that down. Imagine that you have the kingdom of God, and we describe it as God's neighborhood. Now, it's very easy to imagine that this is some exclusive gated community that's separate. And, and if we're not careful, we go there. What God wants us to do is God wants us to lead others to his neighborhood, and people can wonder, how do I get in? It's not that it's exclusive in that God doesn't want people part of it. It just has one entrance. The gate, Jesus says very clearly in John's gospel, I'm the gate. And so as we're coming into Christmas, as we're having this wonderful opportunity to share our faith, we have the opportunity to lead others to his neighborhood's gate. That is Jesus. And I want to show you a bad idea. Because if we don't take this seriously, here's what happens. We block the gate until we think it's time to open it. We say, hey, I have friends who are unchurched, who don't know Jesus, but I'm just not comfortable sharing my faith. And so what we do is we just block the gate. We say, hey, um, yeah, I do have friends who don't know Jesus, but I, I don't want to offend them. So we block the gate. And the problem is, the reason this matters is because very clearly we see in the Gospels, lost people need Jesus. 
Lost people need Jesus. And that doesn't mean we shove religion down someone's throat. It doesn't mean we guilt people. It means we say, God has a neighborhood. I have the opportunity to invite people to come into the neighborhood because there's one gate. His name is Jesus. And instead of blocking the gate until I think it's time to open it, I'm going to have a posture where I say, hey, Jesus is in my heart. Faith is part of my life. I'm open. And so what I want to show you today is we're going to be in a text, the final part of Paul's letter to the Colossians. If you have a Bible, let's grab it, let's open it to Colossians 4. You're going to see a really interesting text. We're going to start in verse 7. We're actually only going to read through verse 10. But it goes on through verse 18. And I was warned by another pastor, hey, David, this is the kind of text I never preach because there's no plot. You're going to see that it's all sorts of, there's three parts of this text. We'll only really deal with the first. There's going to be all these Christians that are going to be sending their greetings to the Colossian church. Then Paul's going to send some greetings to specific people that are in the Colossian church or surrounding area. And then he's going to say, Remember, I'm in jail, goodbye. And that's how the text goes. It really is. But here's why we're doing this text. Because we're going to look at the very beginning of it, and you're going to see that there are three different people we're going to focus on. They're all people that are in God's neighborhood. How do I know this? Because they're part of the Christian community. That means they're part of the kingdom of God. Now, you have to remember when the book of Colossians is written, the letter to Colossians, you have to remember, it's written in the very early days of the church. That means every single person we're going to look at was invited to accept Christ, had faith shared with them. That's really key. So you're going to see that we've got these characters, these people, and they had faith shared with them, and now they're part of the church. And what I'm going to show you is that you're going to meet people just like these three in your life. In fact, these three are going to show you categories of people that we run into all the time in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our families. And what I want to show you is who they are, why we should get to know them, how we can have compassion on them, and then how we can share our faith with them. Here's the first one. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. And this is, we're first going to talk about the person with it all together. So you may run into a person that seems like they just have life great. Don't raise your hand, but do you have people like this in your life? We never feel like we're this person, but we always know this person. The person who has it all together. Here's what the scripture says. I really like reading these together, so let's, let's read just a little bit of scripture. Um, Tychicus, okay? Say that after with me. Tychicus. Tychicus, you got it? Okay, here we go. Tychicus is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. Okay, so Paul is writing, and he's saying, hey, Colossian church, this guy Tychicus sends his greetings. Tychicus, he happens a lot in the New Testament. You're going to see whenever he shows up, he's an encourager, and he's someone that everyone wants to be there. He's like the glue guy, the positive guy you send in that you just want him on your team, you want him in your family, he resolves situations, he has good wisdom, he's the person with it all together who loves Jesus and you want him there. But remember, he didn't always love Jesus because he had faith shared with him 
And so what I want you to do is I want you to look for the people like this in your lives because we run into these people, I like to call them the honor student. Okay? We run into honor students all over the place. What do they look like? When we're in high school, maybe they look like an honor student. Maybe they look like the people with the, remember the athletic letter jackets? And they walk around and they just have reputation and pride and we're like, wow, we're not as cool as those people. Okay, they look like they have it all together. Who are some of those other people? Well, the successful professional. You know the person, right? The person who's driven and achieves and does well. Or maybe if you're a parent and you're part of Instagram culture or Facebook culture, it's the family, the devoted parent, the family that just has the perfect Thanksgiving post. You know what I'm talking about. They do, and you're like, wow, that looks Photoshopped, but it's not, and they just have it all together, right? Now, here's the challenge. These people, we want to have compassion on them, and we can struggle with them because those of us in the church can often look at this and say, hey, I love Jesus and my life's not perfect. Why do those people who don't love Jesus necessarily, why is their life perfect? What am I missing? That's the wrong posture to have. Instead, what we can do is we can say, wow, I acknowledge that they've got some struggles. Yeah, they're well-liked. Yeah, they have good reputations. Yes, they maybe have something they do well, but these people, we want to be compassionate because what are some of the challenges they face? They can be seen as one-dimensional. You know that person who you know them because they do this, and you don't know a lot else about them. And so they can have a pressure to maintain. And sometimes they can take things in their life and they can push it under the rug, right? Oh, I don't actually have any problems. Life is perfect, even though it's not. And we want to have compassion for these people. What I say their greatest insecurity is honor students will ask this question. Do you only love me because I blank? In your workplace, the achiever. Hey, do they only appreciate me because I do really well? In my family, hey, do they only love me because I provide, because I'm the one who's the steady rock, I'm the one who achieves and takes care of everybody, and it can be very isolating to be the honor student. What I want to show you is that a hard truth that they have to sometimes deal with is this, is this idea that it's a lot easier to pretend that life is all good than to deal with the real challenges of life. But the good news the gospel, right? Gospel is good news. The good news of Jesus that we can answer to them is, hey, instead of struggling and just pretending it doesn't exist, if I love Jesus, that means I struggle because I don't need to love Jesus and have faith if I don't struggle. I fall short. I need Jesus, and then I'm changed from the inside out. And that's the difference, and that is some of the good news we can share with the honor students in our lives, is if we're encountering people that seem like they have it all together, what we can realize is that, hey, I have a wonderful opportunity to just be authentic with them. I don't need to overshare. I don't need to undershare. I can just be a real person and love Jesus and live that way. And so what I want to show you is that Sometimes these are the people we have the hardest time with. When we're thinking as Christians, who can I share my faith with? The person with it all together, with the nice house, the nice car, the 401k, etc. This can be the person we relate with the least, can it? 
because we're messed up. We have problems. We have insecurities. And the person who's just perfect, that's hard, and I don't know how to relate to them. I have a friend who I believe this would be the hardest person for me to share my faith with. I'll call him Frank. His real name's not Frank. I grew up with Frank. And we went to a Christian school together. And his dad was a really strong Christian. And he was a cross-country star. He ran two minutes faster than me in the 5K. And he had amazing grades. He was number one in our class. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He had all these amazing things in, our li- in his life. And now he lives his life and he travels the world and he goes backpacking in Europe and he doesn't necessarily have faith, but he's got his life together. And I will tell you that for me as your pastor, if I'm thinking of the person who would be hardest to share my faith with, it would be Frank. Is that fair? Now here's the thing. That's why I'm not going to ask you to memorize some 90-second, like, boom, 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 do this, and then it's going to convert them, because that doesn't work. I'm not going to ask you to argue with people about doctrine or theology. What I'm going to ask you to do is something instead. Who are the honor students in your life? Think about it. Who are some of those people? Think in your head. Who are some of the people that seem like they have it all together? Write it down jot it down, and we're going to come back to this. So there's the, first, there's the first type. Here's another type. This is the person with a story. You're going to see next in this text that we've done, dealt with Tychicus. Now we're going to deal with this guy Onesimus, and we're going to read this one together. Let's read this here, Colossians 4.9. I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. So Onesimus is a great example of a person with a story. Have you ever met a person who they kind of hold others at arm's length? They maybe don't. They're not an oversharer. They're an undersharer. And you think, that person has a story. That person has a reason. Not necessarily something they've done wrong, but a background that if I knew that, it would allow me to know so much more about them, but they really want to withhold it. Let me tell you what Onesimus' background was. Onesimus meets the Apostle Paul, gives his life to Jesus, becomes a Christian, and he's got a secret. He's talking to this guy, Paul, who's a Roman citizen in the first century, and Onesimus is a runaway slave. And he, wow, look at that. Now he's got all this If I'm not careful, I can end up in prison or dead or something horrible to me. And he's got all this stuff. And what you're going to see is if you read, there's a companion letter to Colossians called Philemon. And Philemon is all about this guy Onesimus. And Paul sends Onesimus back and he says, don't receive him as a slave. He was a slave. Now receive him as a beloved brother in Christ. Because Onesimus has a story. Onesimus has something he's running from, and it's not that it's his fault, it's just reality. And we have people like this, not who are, because we're in a totally different cultural context 2,000 years later. We don't have runaway Roman slaves. What we have is we have people with stories, and maybe they're running something. Maybe they're trying to hide something, and we can look at these people in our lives and society and have compassion on them. I call these people the iceberg. What's an iceberg? An iceberg is a little bit of ice, and then there's water, and that's it, right? No, there's all this stuff underneath. 
How much of an iceberg usually can you see? 10%. 10% up here, 90% in the bottom. We have people in our lives who are icebergs, who they show us just this little bit and how much do they have going on. All this other stuff. Do we judge them for it? No. What we want to realize is we have the opportunity as followers of Jesus to acknowledge that just because someone lets me see this doesn't mean that's the whole story. Let me give you some characteristics and ideas of the people who are icebergs. So they can keep others at arm's length. Maybe they have traumatic backgrounds, and they're often cautious. What are some of their fears? Rejection. Have you ever met a person who just is worried, hey, are they going to reject me? If they find out more, maybe you've been this person at some point. Hey, this is great, but I'm so worried that if I say the wrong thing, I'm out. If I say one wrong thing, that's it, forget it, I've lost, I've lost my relationships, they're never going to talk to me again. That's what our iceberg friends deal with. And so the big question that they have to deal with is, will they still love me if they learn more about me? But the challenge is, is that for iceberg friends, when we stay distant out of fear of rejection, what happens? We self-impose the rejection. And so we can have compassion for our friends in our neighborhood. We're looking and we're saying, hey, Jesus wants to bring people into God's neighborhood. Jesus is the gate. And so what I can look at is I can say, wow, there are people in my life who have a story. Maybe they don't want to share it. And now they've put everybody in an arm's length and they've built all these walls. And what happens if I build a wall here and a wall here and a wall here and here and up above me? Now I'm totally closed off. But the good news of the gospel that we can share with them is, hey, it's not that you have to tell me all your secrets. It's not that you just have to spill all your beans and feel uncomfortable. No, with the gospel, yeah, you've got stuff in your life. I have stuff in my life too. We're all sinners. We all repent. We all have a previous life, and we get to have new life in Jesus to let the old go away. And then we build community not based on a stained glass lifestyle of I'm perfect, you're perfect, we're all together because we're perfect. That's not this church or any church, I hope. We build community where we're trying to be authentic and be honest. Let me give you an example of a famous iceberg, Johnny Cash. Who's a, let's raise a hand. Who loves Johnny Cash? Did you know that Johnny Cash became a really strong Christian? He did. Because Johnny Cash had a traumatic childhood that he didn't want to face. Then he had a failing marriage. Then he had drug use and all sorts of things. And he literally, I read an article where it was written by his son, and he literally ends up in a cave wanting to die. And God meets him in the cave, and it becomes clear that he can give his life to Jesus, and he can have faith, and he can return, and he can start to be honest about his struggles. And one of the reasons that if you look at the timeline of Johnny Cash really taking off as a great musician and a pop culture icon, it's around the time that he gives his life to Jesus and things start to change in his life. Because Johnny Cash, even though he was holding everybody at a distance, with the gospel, he didn't need to do that. And he could say, hey, you know, I do walk the line in my life. That's, there's, there's hard times, there's good times. I love Jesus. That doesn't mean my life is perfect, but I can authentically build community with other people. So like with our honor student, I want you to Think about it. Who are some of the icebergs you know in your life? Who are some of those people who hold everybody at arm's length? 
Again, write it down. Think about it. Jot it down. We're going to do something at the end. We have people in our lives who fall completely in this category, who maybe the biggest thing we can do for them is to simply not judge them. There's some people that they don't need to be told that they're right or wrong. They just need to be accepted. Amen? There's some people that simply need to know that there are Christians who aren't going to judge me. I have a lot going on in my life, and it's not that you agree with a lot going on in my life or you disagree with a lot going on in my life. You just accept me, and you understand that Jesus will do the work in my life over time. One more category, and then I'll show you what we're going to do with these. So here's our third one. This is the person who's busy. Now, it's interesting. I'm, I've been in a new role for 18 or 19 weeks. I, I've lost track. And you know the number one concern people tell me? I ask people, hey, how's life? Good. And then I try to dig. I'm like, okay, uh, tell me how your week was. Well, it was busy, right? That's the number one thing we have. In our culture... We don't always maybe feel like we can identify with the person who has everything together, the honor student. Maybe we act like that on social media. Maybe some of us really find ourselves dealing with a lot of people who have a lot going on, but so many of us have this as our number one, I feel busy. You're going to see this guy, John Mark. John Mark was kind of an original follower of Paul. Paul's the writer of this text to the Colossian church, and his friend Barnabas. You'll actually see that John Mark and Barnabas are cousins. Let's read this together, and I'll explain what's going on. Mark, Barnabas's cousin, as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Now, before we look at the text in the original Greek or anything, I want you to just read this and imagine for a second how does this speak about busyness. Listen to this on this guy, Mark. Make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Doesn't that sound like a busy guy? Do you have those people in your life who, hey, I don't know if they're going to have time for you, but if they come your way, make them welcome? Because we can be in places in our lives where we just have so much going on. Let me explain who John Mark is. So John Mark gets pulled into the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and they're going to go do cool things for Jesus, and they go. And John Mark goes, and then he realizes in Acts 13, hey, I've got too much going on, and I need to head back to Jerusalem. We don't exactly know why, but let's look at it from a 2023 perspective. He's busy. If he's on his trip, and he's consumed with other thoughts, and he needs to head back to Jerusalem, there must be pressing matters in Jerusalem. He's busy. He's got too much. Now, he tries to reconcile and so then Barnabas and John Mark approach Paul, and they're like, hey, let's try this again in Acts 15. And Paul says, basically, that's a lousy idea. He can't come. And this leads to a big divide between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Eventually, we see reconciliation to the point of the end of Paul's life when he's writing to this other guy, Timothy, and he says, hey, send for John Mark too. He's really important to me. He's become dear to me. But here's my point is that we have people in our lives who are just busy. And maybe it's good busy, and maybe it's bad busy, but they're just busy. I like to call them the overextender. Imagine that you are coming to the Christmas time, and you have a calendar. Pull out your calendar for a second. And if you look at it, your calendar is not exactly a blank slate. 
Uh, here's mine. All sorts of colors, that means I have stuff. But there's some gaps there. Let's say that on the 7th of December, oh, I've got a gap in the afternoon, so I pencil something in. And then uh, a couple people invite me to something on the 22nd, so here I go. And then I add the 4th and the 9th and the 18th. What happens? We start to extend ourselves. Now, the challenge with the Christmas season is that the hustle and bustle has overtaken just the consumerism to the point where we come to the end of Thanksgiving or Christmas, and how do we feel? Exhausted. Just totally worn out. Just like, could I please have a break in January? Can I have like six weeks off and go to Bermuda? Because that was too much. We get overextended. And there's people like this in our society who just are overextended. Now, I want to give you characteristics of them. How do you know if someone's overextended? They have too much going on. You keep it simple, right? Now, what are their issues? A person who's busy, they're worried about what? Burnout. Worried, hey, I'm just going to implode. If I take on one more thing, what's going to happen? It's going to be too much. It's going to be the end. The greatest insecurity is, hey, I'm too busy for anything more. But the problem, and they have to deal with, is that starting from busy really sets everybody up to fail. When we just say, when I say, I'm going to start with busy, and then I'm going to add more and more and more, eventually I reach a breaking point. As we find friends in our neighborhood, people around us, who we want to share about Jesus, one of the hopes that the gospel offers to our busy friends, and if we're Christians and we're really busy, it offers to us too, so maybe this is for you, maybe this isn't for your friend. The gospel says, come to me, all who are weary, this is Jesus talking, and I'll give you rest. Is The gospel is not, God loves me, therefore I need to do more. What is the gospel? Perfect God, created perfectly, sin entered the world, I'm powerless over that sin, Jesus came in, lived a perfect life, died on my behalf, now I just have to have busyness? No, not busyness. Good works? No, not good works. Faith. I just have to believe. That is the gospel. I'm freed from my needing to please all these different people and to constantly stretch myself thinner and thinner. That is the hope that the gospel offers. As we come into the Christmas season, that is what we should hear. And so what I wonder for you is who are some of the overextended people in your life? Who are some of them? Here's what I want to do now. So I've asked you to identify who are some of the honor students, the people who seem like they have it all together. Then who are some of the icebergs, the people who really seem like they have a lot going on? And now I've said, who are some of the overextenders, the people who are busy, busy, busy? Here's our big idea, and I want to show you something. God wants me to view the kingdom of God as a neighborhood. The neighborhood has one gate. His name is Jesus. God wants me to lead others to his neighborhood's gate. And that includes the, iceberg, the honor student, the iceberg, the overextended, and everyone else. We have an event that we talked about earlier, Night in Bethlehem. When is Night in Bethlehem? Tell me the date. Shout it out. December 10th. Imagine that you were going to invite someone to Night in Bethlehem. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do it. I'm going to ask you to either pick Night in Bethlehem or Christmas Eve. So Night in Bethlehem is what time on December 10th? 3 p.m. Christmas Eve is what time? What are our two service times? 
10 a.m. and 4 p.m. So you got three choices. I'm going to ask you to pick one. And then this is going to be a way you can see who's the honor student, who's the iceberg, who's overextended. I want you to talk to a friend of yours. And I want you to say, hey, I'd love to invite you to Night in Bethlehem. If they give you the following response. Hey, you know, I'd love to. But we have this really big kind of family tradition. We go to the Boston Ballet, we go to the Nutcracker, we get front row seats, we do champagne lunch, and that's kind of our special thing for the holiday. Aha! Now you're dealing with an honor student. Now you're dealing with someone who believes that they have their life all together. That's not bad. That's not good. That's just is what it is. Now you know, and now you can say, hmm, the thing that I can really offer people like that is not banging them over the head with the Bible, not guilting them, not shaming them, not telling them that they're wrong, but living my life humbly and authentically. Imagine that you say, hey, okay, I'd like to invite you tonight in Bethlehem, and they say to you this, if I stepped into your church, the roof would cave in. (laughs) You're dealing with an iceberg. So thank you now for letting me know That means you have other stuff in your life. Am I going to judge you? No. Am I going to condemn you? No. There's no condemnation in Christ. What I'm going to do is now I know that I've got someone with other things in their life and praise God that he has put me or you as a Christian in their life. That's awesome. We can really work with that. You now can be an ambassador for Jesus in that person's life. How cool that they have a Christian friend. Or let's say that you say, hey, I'd love you to come tonight in Bethlehem, and they give you this response. I'd love to, but I'm too busy. Well, you're dealing with an overextender. If someone says you're too busy, remember, the whole idea of church, the gospel, is not to give you more stuff to do to feel bad about. If you ever feel like this church just gives you more things to do and you feel guilty, please don't feel guilty. If you don't think you should go to something, don't go. Jesus clearly says, When he talks about giving, and we can give of our money or of our time, you got to do things out of a cheerful heart. If you don't want to go, don't feel like you're obligated to go. I'm inviting you to invite friends, not out of obligation, but out of this idea that God wants me to lead others to his neighborhood's gate, Jesus, and that's the church provides an awesome opportunity to do that. So we've put together this blueprint for sharing our faith. It's called Share. And I want to read this together and I want to talk about it for a moment as we wrap up. Start with prayer. Hear from the Holy Spirit and the other person. Accept where the other person is. Remember it's about Jesus. Expect God to work. When you're coming in your life and you have friends who are unchurched, who need to know Jesus, we don't need to argue with them, we don't need to condemn them, and we don't need to manipulate them. What I'm going to ask you to do, we have share cards as you leave today, and we're going to hand them out to you. You'll see me at the door. I've got them for you. On the back, it asks you to write the names of two people. It doesn't matter if they're overextenders or icebergs or honor students. Write the names of two Christians, and here's my question for you. Are you willing to commit for the month of December to praying daily for two non-Christians in your life? I don't often do this, but I'm going to ask if you're willing to. I'm willing to do it. If you're willing to, raise your hand. I'm not asking you to do anything else other than take a card on the way out and write the name of two non-Christians on the back. For one month, 
You can put it in your calendar. We have an opportunity to respond at the end of services. If you have decided that you're going to share your faith this Christmas, elder team's going to come forward. If you're feeling nervous about this or excited about it, we'd love to pray with you, to talk with you. What I invite you is wherever people are, we have the chance to be praying for them, to not be guilting them, but to say, wow, I love Jesus. He makes a difference in my life, in the life of my family, and he can for you too. Let's stand and let's sing together. And I invite you to come forward. Let's pray. Let's hear from the Holy Spirit.